Hey everybody, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. And we are still Evangelicals, even the day after the Super Bowl. <laughs> and maybe we just start off with an apology. It's been a while since we put out an episode, but life's been kind of crazy and hectic, and we are... We are promising that in this next few months, we are going to be dropping several episodes at maybe a higher rate than we have in the past. Yeah, we've got some great guests that are lined up to come and speak with us. Dr. Kevin Lehman, the psychologist, is going to be with us. Uh, Reverend Sharon Norman, worship leader, pastor, she's going to be with us. It's going to be a fun couple months with Scott Daniels. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, so we're we're super excited. And um, so, like I said, just promising that, that more episodes are coming for those of you who have wondered if we fell off the face of the earth. Well, let's talk Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Uh it was you had said you said it was a boring game. Well, I think that we've gotten so accustomed to the Patrick Mahomes of the world. Oh yeah. To the um 30 points, 40 points, 50 points. Yeah. And and where defense is lacking. I feel like the NFL is becoming like sorry, are you Big 12 fans, but it's becoming the Big 12 where we want to see all the points. We love the flashy, we love the no-look passes that Patrick Mahomes does. And when we have a a Super Bowl that at halftime it was 3 to 0. Yeah. 3 to 0, we wonder what's going on and and we look at that and think it's boring, but we really realize what was actually taking place and how these these teams were just shutting each other down. It's pretty it's pretty masterful if you look at it from um, probably a pure football perspective. You know what's amazing to me is in modern technology, the coaches are actually t- allowed to talk to the quarterbacks in their helmets via <laughs> via speakers and microphones. I mean, it's just unbelievable, man. <laughs> And so they are. They come up to the line and they're like checking and they're like having conversations in their in their helmet with their with their coaches. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Do you, you ever know? think they say like jokes or something funny? Uh, Bill Belichick, I don't think tells many jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I think it's funny though because I think, and I, I will get back to the NFL. But I was watching an NBA basketball game the other day, and um, I was watching the Golden State Warriors play somebody, and I think it was the Lakers, and. Steph Curry had like two points, and I was kind of disappointed because you, when you watch Steph and Curry play, you want to see him light up the threes, and and he was just having an off game. And so it's just interesting that we've become accustomed to um, wanting to be entertained, and yeah. and and this understanding of what entertains us and what doesn't. And and I I imagine that the NFL players at halftime would have had the gladiator line, "Are you not entertained with what we are doing on this field?" When they're giving their heart and and and. 100% effort and and some of the hits were just hard hitting and and so I think they were given their all and yet once again the probably a lot of the commentary was and I think even Tony Romo said in in in, in the middle of the game that what's going on this is this is not a football you know this is not a football game coming from a quarterback who thinks offense is probably the only thing that, that really matters on the football field this has nothing to do with much of what we're going to talk about today, but speaking of the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, the quarterback of my high school football team, Tyler Ford, has actually made his way to becoming an NBA referee, and he was the he was the referee that DeMarcus Cousins was chewing out during that game. <laughs> Number 39, Tyler Ford. I from, saw that happen. From was... Allen East High School in Lafayette, Ohio. Wow. Yeah, there you go. That's amazing. So, yeah, I, I think that that entertainment and what we value – 
is something that came out of last night for me and and people who looked at this this football game once again and and rather than seeing what was actually taking place because it wasn't exciting um, because it wasn't what maybe culture would say is exciting or football fans have come to grow accustomed to. Um, it, it really was was not getting rave reviews on Twitter. <laughs> like I was following some people on Twitter and, and the conversation wasn't um, very exciting. They were trying to figure out what was going on. It is really interesting how we as consumers, and I've only lived in this era of human history, so I don't know how people in history felt about these kinds of things. But we as consumers, when we consume anything, we feel very entitled to be critical of it. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, no one forced us to watch the Super Bowl last night. You know, CBS is not making people watch this game, but everybody's watching. And then everybody's giving commentary to CBS, you know, about how things went well or how things didn't go well. And this is definitely demonstrated in the halftime show and people's responses to the halftime show, right? Yeah. So people have very, very strong opinions about how well the halftime show went, you know? And commercials. I saw so many tweets about commercials and it's like, I remember when Super Bowl commercials were funny. And I was like, are you kidding me? Well, I do remember. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But I'm just saying there was no stone left uncovered in in all of the coverage that happened last night. And um, the the band teacher at our our local high school was at um, our church last night. We're watching the game with the teens. And and he was like, uh, during the Star Spangled Banner, he was like, oh, I'm going to get on, and this sounds so nerdy, I'm sorry, Brian Sandwich, but um, he's like, all the band directors, I guess, have a Facebook page. Oh, and cool. he's like, they're so critical. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was getting on to see what everybody had said about the Star Spangled Banner. You know, but once again, it's just that, and what social media has done is it's provided instant ways to be critical. Sure. Whereas before, you were talking amongst the people that you were with, or you would talk about it the next day at work, and, and in live time, you were getting people's reaction yeah. to the whole show, the whole thing. Which I would like to add my commentary to that band director circle. I thought Gladys was wonderful. <laughs> I thought she did such a great job. It was I, I a lovely it. national anthem. No, I she was it. fantastic. That's the, good. That's the flyover, good. all this stuff. But probably the biggest, the biggest moment of the night for anyone, it was watching the game around the internet, uh, tweeting about it, was the big moment where Adam Levine took his shirt off. <laughs> and this is funny to me, because I, I plan, uh, I've, been in, I've been in bands, done, done concerts and this kind of thing, and you kind of, when you're, when you're planning a show, you get together and you plan, okay, what's going to be the big moment? And for me, as kind of a critical guy who loves rock and roll, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, how in the world did this planning session go? It's like the band gets together. It's like, all right, we need to end this really big. What are we going to do? And so does the drummer say, Adam, you know what you should do, dude? You should take your shirt off. And they're like, and they're like, oh, great idea. Brilliant. And then somebody else says, somebody else is like, oh, dude, we can't just, we can't just have him take his shirt off. We got to have some fire. They're like, oh, brilliant. And the stage needs to be an M. Yeah, 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 right. I mean, so this is, you know, this is kind of the... The creative juices were flowing to that extent last night. Well, I think what it really gets at, and you know, people being critical is is something that's unfortunate, and and maybe this is going deeper than we anticipated. Even talking about this is, I think that we always compare to previous Super Bowls or halftime shows or national anthems or 
you know, my wife would say, nobody will ever sing the national anthem like Whitney Houston. <laughs> the best ever. Yeah. And, and so everything is based upon how Whitney did it. And, and we struggle as a people just to live in the moment and be present and say, okay, all those were great. But, you know, and, and I think we talked earlier, like, you know, I had mentioned a few previous halftime performances. And so I was expecting a Maroon 5 to live up to what had previously happened rather than just saying, hey, Maroon 5 should do this like Maroon 5 wants to do it. And wh- whatever's happened in the previous, I shouldn't base my, or I shouldn't make a judgment based on, oh, I thought this guy, Bruno Mars or Michael Jackson did it way better. And therefore Maroon 5 did it, it was awful based upon what I, previous Super Bowl performances and even the game based on previous Super Bowls, like, oh, this game was high scoring. It was, and, 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 and we, we, we struggle to just be present sometimes. So we had a little gathering at our house last night. Uh, we watched the Super Bowl and ate some good food and stuff. And uh, I said a prayer before the uh, meal because that's just customary. It's what we do in our right, home. Right, right, right. And then I realized I'm talking to God as we're about to celebrate this pagan holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just added that in my prayer. I was like, Lord, thanks for food and friends. And I don't know if you had any hand in it, but for the pagan holiday, <laughs> we're celebrating tonight. So uh, I'm going to stop praying now. I think that's how I, I, think that's how I prayed last night. Because it's funny because, you know, we when we talk on this podcast about the kingdoms of this world sure. and how we navigate living in the world and not being too much of it. You know, and the Super Bowl is is uh, is one of these things that we in the church, I don't know that we know what to do with because it's it's such a priority culturally, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with football. There's nothing necessarily wrong with commerce. There's nothing necessarily wrong with popular culture. There's nothing necessarily wrong with music. You know, all these things, and so we and so we we engage in it. Sure, we watch it. But then this critical spirit comes out in us, especially as Christians. And whenever whenever Christians get uh, on a soapbox talking about something like the Super Bowl, I just I, I think to myself, you know, you guys, this this is a different kingdom. Yeah. I mean, we are choosing we are choosing to indulge ourselves with entertainment that's coming from something that is very very different than. Uh, evangelicalism in the sense of the good news sure this is not based in goodness can we talk about that a little bit because i think that something that happens and as i look at at scripture i feel like something that people struggle with all the time is they want to take some of these popular notions of you know and and the one that comes to mind just right off the top is baalism and and i think that the people struggle because they wanted to bring that idea of how do we worship the baal and and what we think that I can somehow manipulate and coerce this God to do what I wanted to do. And we bring it into, you know, the big, the big theological word is syncretism. We don't get rid of Yahweh worship. We just want to worship Yahweh like we worship Baal without realizing that Yahweh is totally different and, and, and it's a different understanding. So I think sometimes we were critical of the Super Bowl, but I, I, I think unfortunately sometimes our church worship and our church gatherings and our church, um, when we get together with the community, often becomes um what what is this going to provide me does it does it make me excited does it does it hit the 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 buttons that i want it to hit and we become consumers kind of like we are of the super bowl 
And, and, and like, like you said, I don't know if there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think when we bring that into our Christian walk and our Christian understanding of community, that's when it can become very detrimental and dangerous. And you're a worship leader. You're, you, you probably, I would imagine every week have that tension of we want to provide something that, that the people enjoy, but at the same time, we don't want it to be about that necessarily. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the message is in the medium. So when people come to engage in worship to God, who is the giver of music, the giver of light, the giver of color, the giver of flavor, the giver of fun, the giver of all of these things, if our worship is void of all of those things, we are sending a theological message that God is void of all of those things. And so I, I kind of hold those things in. Um, when, pe- when people are critical of consuming in worship, I just like to remind people, um, as theologians, as pastors, we, get, we, can, we have the ability to inform how people are experiencing worship, you know, and we can't be irresponsible with that. And if, if we do provide them with a service that they just come passively to receive and be entertained, that's not their fault. That's our fault. I mean, we are not – call your people to stand. Call your people to repeat after you in reading scripture. Call your people to kneel. Call your people to greet each other. Call your people to read scripture aloud. I mean, there's a lot of things that you could do to kind of fight the idea that people just come and sit passively. I always get frustrated when, when pastors say, you know, my people are this and this and this. It's like, well, be a, be a shepherd, be a leader, <laughs> you know, do something, do something about that. But the thing about it, you know, worship, worship happens all the time. And I do think about worship when I'm watching the Super Bowl. Sure. Because we've got. Tens of millions of people, maybe hundreds of millions, I don't know what the numbers are, that that are gathering together to fix their mind on a particular thing in a particularly ritualist, ritualistic kind of way, you know? And I even think as, as I'm in my home last night watching the Super Bowl, I, I think to myself, you know, I'm even teaching my children to an extent that this is worthy of their attention. Sure. Whether or not I actually have thought about that and whether or not I would actually agree with that my message to my children is a very strong message through the medium that we're sitting there participating in this somewhat cultic uh, experience do you see a difference am I am I oversimplifying here is there a is there a difference fundamentally between you know Christian worship and the super Bowl watching I mean I, I would hope so <laughs> right <laughs> I I, I would hope the biggest difference is the Super Bowl. <laughs> We're talking like it's got feelings and such, but the yes, Super Bowl this thing. Um, really doesn't care if I watch or not. The Super Bowl wants me to to participate, especially the the people with the ads. CBS cares. CBS cares, but the Super Bowl in and of itself. I think that's actually an ad campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I. I it's not calling me hypothetically to any form of, of life. It's not asking anything of me other than I spend three and a half hours of my time to, to watch it and to, to participate. But other than that, if I wanted to go and, and do whatever after that, I don't think the Super Bowl or CBS would have any feelings about that. But well, oh. I mean, in, this, in a similar way, this is like a pagan god. 
Right. What it what it asks of you is particular attention at a particular time, but does absolutely nothing for you any other time. I mean, in this way, the Super Bowl is a ball. It's a bail in that way. Yeah. So I think what I would hope would be different is that when we gather, especially as Wesleyans, um, is I think that we believe that when we get together that the the imaginative, creative presence of God is in our midst. And that the practices such as prayer and singing and jumping into the Bible together and giving and, um, you know, if we do read scripture together, responsive reading, that all this is to shape and form us to be more like God, to then go and live differently in the world. And that anything that would be a part of that, that is... um, that isn't pushing us towards that. And and I think I say that kind of loosely maybe because I think that you think, well, you can't laugh or you can't have fun. I think that that would be part of helping us understand a, a, a bigger theological perspective on what, how this affects all of life. And, and so to me, hopefully the difference is once again, I watched the Super Bowl after the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is not asking me to then go out and make a difference in the world. It's done with me at that point. But hopefully for us, as we center our lives around the cross and who, who God is calling us to be, it then would beg of us to live differently, to see people differently, to to go out and and make a difference in the world, to be salt and light, what Jesus said, or to to make the world more like God dreams for it to be and visions for it to be. And so to me, the difference between Christian worship and watching the Super Bowl is what hopefully happens post-worship service what happens and that what happens within the worship service or the, the, the gathering or whatever word you want to use is compelling me and calling me to something higher, something better, something that, that is, is beckoning me to live for a different kingdom than potentially what I see every day. And really, I mean, maybe, maybe a good measure of the seriousness of our faith ought to be a comparison of how do I, how does the Super Bowl affect my life versus how does Christian worship affect my life? For example, do I watch the Super Bowl and do ads compel me to buy more products, to get on YouTube and watch more of whatever I was prompted to watch more of? When I go to Christian worship, is there any follow-up? Am I encouraged to love my neighbor more? I mean, which what am I more engaged in, you know? Which master am I serving more? Well, I mean, like you said, the, the Super Bowl is kind of this ambiguous, non-existent entity. I mean, it's a it's a game. Right. But the spirit of it is in many senses the spirit of our age that we can so easily get caught up in. Maybe to the detriment of our spiritual life, maybe not. I don't I'm not sure that I have a conclusive opinion on that. One of the things that people love to talk about, though, and, and people are ta- the reason we're talking about the Super Bowl is everybody's talking about the Super Bowl. You know, people, this is what people talk about in North America at the <laughs> beginning of February before we get to Valentine's Day. You know, it's yeah. the Super Bowl. Is, is that the, the Super Bowl uh, halftime show, music, the rock and roll. I love, maybe this is bad. I love watching Christians talk on social media about secular things. You yeah. Know? So there's lots of conversation last night about Adam Levine and the taking a shirt off moment. You know, some people are saying that there was the massive Janet Jackson uproar when the 
famous wardrobe malfunction happened in the early 2000s. But this was no malfunction. It was definitely on purpose. Oh, it was pretty intentional, you know? But <laughs> when I'm talking about Gina Jackson, I'm talking about Adam Levine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, exactly. Very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's no, there's no um, questioning whether or not he was intentionally going to I like how he started shirtless. with the jacket, then got down to the tank top, you know? Like yeah, it, it was layers. It was layers. Yeah, it was, you know? Uh, Adam Levine and ogres are like onions. <laughs> They've got layers. <laughs> Hopefully we don't have to cut that, cut that out for brilliant. like copyright no, DreamWorks there. <laughs> little Shrek reference for you. Uh, but uh, one of the things that we've done in our culture because of the Me Too movement especially is we become particularly sensitive to sexualizing and objectifying women. But I don't know that we have that sensitivity to men. You know, as I was as I was watching different Christians talk online, you know, I I couldn't help but notice some of my Christian girlfriends uh, saying things about you know how attractive Adam Levine is or this kind of a thing. You know, where if I would make a comment about some other female you know performer in public on the on a social media platform about some woman being attractive um, or sexually provocative, uh, I might get a call from my district superintendent, as I should. I'm not saying that I shouldn't. I, no, I'm no, not saying that I should be entitled to do that. I think it's completely inappropriate. Right. Seriously, I really do. Sure. But but we we have this we have this kind of double standard in the church, in that I don't. In the same way that in the same way that that culture does, and I was honestly kind of shocked last night to watch some of the conversations, um, where on the one hand you had Christians who were who were outraged that Adam Levine which was allowed to do this, which back to the previous point, this is a worldly, secular, non-Christian event. They can do anything godless they want for all we in the church care. Sure. I mean, this, this is not our event. You know, we're the outsiders here, okay? But then you have Christians sort of endorsing and encouraging, even sexualizing, in a way that if the opposite gender were to do it, it would be completely inappropriate and completely offensive. And I just don't know that we're self-critical. I don't know that we see the double standards in ourselves. And this is the Super Bowl is a is a social moment that, in my opinion, brings out some of our double standards, some of our idiosyncrasies. I think it's a great picture of where culture is. I, I think that it gives us an insight, you know, and I, and I always watch the halftime show and, and I love, like, I'm kind of this production geek. Like yeah. I love just seeing the the whole deal. Like the, I don't know, there had to be some drones or something that was flying in the back and it spelled out the word love. And I was like, that that's, that's kind of cool. You know, like there that was, was a, a lot going on, a lot of going on. Um, I, you know, I think we were talking earlier. I was like, man, the drum line, when they come up, like, oh, this is going to be great. And then, and then it, it, it didn't meet my expectation, you know? And then they had the church choir, and my wife makes the comment, everything's better when you ring out the church choir, you know? And it, But it's interesting because I think that it's it does give us this picture. And like I said, they had some production meeting and said – Hey, throughout the show, you're just gonna you're gonna give the girls a little bit more, a little bit more, <laughs> to where eventually you're gonna have your shirt off, and and it was very intentional, and and I think you're right. Sometimes we as Christians have a double standard. We 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 struggle 
to be consistent sometimes across the board and understanding not just the shirt off, but I think all of it. <laughs> I think, and I think that, that we do this with political issues. I think we do this with with issues maybe even in our homes, even in our churches, that that for whatever reason, we want to jump on soapboxes about certain things, and then we don't realize that something has happened that is exactly the same talking point, and somehow we seem to be absent from that part of the conversation. So we've been talking about double standards, worshiping other gods or the god of the Super Bowl. I want to take a very sharp turn (laughs) and talk about one of the things that my wife and I have been discussing recently. And it's, it's, uh, it's a double standard that many of us have almost essentially uh, who want or necessarily that many of us have necessarily who put our children or choose to put our children in public school. And it's this idea of education, public education, and Christians being a part of the public educational system. The church's relationship with education in America has been a very, very funny thing. You know, um, it's, it's like we have this expectation that the state-run institution – is going to teach our kids morality or teach them civics in a way that is friendly to our faith. But yet we're very critical of the state and the country at the same time. I, I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm bringing this up because for me personally, now that I'm about to send my child, my child into it, I, I think to myself, you know, what am I, what am I willing to uh, hand off or delegate as far as responsibility is concerned with the development of my child to this state-run institution. And it's interesting because I, it, it, we have this understanding, and I've heard so many complaints and rebuttals about Common Core, and I'm not here to promote it or de- say that it's good, bad, and different, but just how they're not teaching math the way they used to. And it's just not a good way to teach math or it's not a good way to teach whatever the case may be. And, and, and then we, we kind of get a tweet from our president and we're not dogging or promoting or anything. It was just a tweet. And so we just want to talk about a little bit how um, he said, Hey, we're, we're, we're looking at introducing um, the teaching of the Bible in the the public school in the local school. Now I think it was, I saw an article about this. I think it was an elective. It wasn't like it was going to be across the board. Everybody had to take the Bible class, but it just raises the question. And I think a lot of potentially evangelicals, um, people who would claim to follow Jesus, were like, "Yes, this is great." But then you want to ask the question: Is this a double standard? Because you complain that we can't teach math and we can't teach all this other all of these other subjects, and yet somehow we're going to trust. <laughs> These people are going to teach the Bible in such a way that we would hopefully want to be theologically sound, um, uh, appropriate in such a way that really tells the pe- the story of the people of God in a an honest, in a fair, in a a way that that is presented. This is who God is also calling us to be. Yeah, I mean, I as a pastor, I sometimes wince when I hear the Sunday school teachers teaching my children the Bible. And these are people who are 
married to the faith, who love God, who are trying their best to be faithful to Scripture, I am very anxious about delegating the teaching of Scripture to any public school official or teacher. I mean, that's not their job. <laughs> that is that is mine. And I um that 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 whole thing this last week was just such a such a weird weird thing to me. Like, why in the world would be we be excited about? the state teaching our kids scripture, which is the primary responsibility of parents. Well, and to me, I'm going to be totally wrong, but I don't think I am. Um, (laughs) Scripture functions best when it's in a community of people who are seeking to live what scripture is calling us to live. I think if you divorce the scripture from a community of people who are striving and, and, and living towards the end of the kingdom of God, then scripture is going to seem odd. It's going to seem strange. It's not going to have the same power. It's not going to have the same pull. It's not going to have the same call on a group of people. And so to me, scripture functions best in community of people who are really seeking to understand it best. So that once again, going back to what we talked about earlier, is this formational to me on how I live my life and not just a book that we're going to study and try to get um, some history or some right. understanding of what happened in the past. It, it is always best, I believe, when it's when it functions and has a place in a community of people who are seeking to be the people that the Scripture is calling us to be. Just to bring it back to the Super Bowl and kind of how in the world that we get to education. <laughs> I mean, the, the thought the thought about the double standard that we really have a complicated self-understanding. Uh, the author Jordan Peterson, the psychologist, he, uh, in his book, The Twelve Rules for Life, he is talking about an episode that he had with one of his clients. And he says about her life, he says, her life is a cacophony of unintegrated experiences. And I feel like we as evangelicals, sometimes our lives because we want to be a part of so many different things, because we want to um, invest in or believe in so many different institutions simultaneously, whether they be the industries that we buy our clothes and food from or the things we watch on television or the places that we go to worship, all these different facets of our life, we want to hold them all at the same time, even though they may in themselves contain competing values you know uh we were talking a little bit earlier about worship Mm. and how the super bowl is a form of worship Mm. you know uh i actually this last week saw one of the most disturbing things i've seen in my own sanctuary Uh, we had allowed a um couple southern gospel groups to come to the church to perform uh and um i took my my two little girls to this performance and we were standing in the balcony watching the performance, and the first song was, I think, about the resurrection. The second song was about the power of Jesus' blood to forgive sins. And the third song might have even been about the um, like the power of the Spirit's leading or something in our lives. But the fourth song, they started singing Lee Greenwood's Proud to be an American. And on the, on the screens, they were showing the American flags, which uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, 
uh, she's a preschooler and she has been learning the Pledge of Allegiance at preschool, right? And the red, white, and blue and the fat and the flag. And uh, what happened in this Lee Greenwood song is all of a sudden all of these people who would come to attend this concert, when he when they got to the chorus, the group got to the chorus, I'm proud to be an American, these people who had been sitting for all of these songs about Jesus, they stood to their feet, and at least half of them raised their hands in the air. Well, isn't there the line, and I'll proudly stand up? And I'll proudly stand up next to you, and yeah. defend her still today. They all stand at this line and raise their hands. Um, and uh, my, my four-year-old looks up to me and she says, Daddy, what are they... What are they doing with the red, white, and blue? In the sanctuary where I lead people in Christian worship every Sunday. And I said to her, I said, you know what, Lucy? These people are very confused. They don't know what they're doing with the red, white, and blue. And they have forgotten where they are. And we're actually going to go now. <laughs> and we left. And, you know, I think I have some conversations to have with some other people because I I played a part in that that I don't know that I'm very proud of and I'm still kind of wrestling with what I saw. But I don't think any of those people who are there on Friday night would think to themselves that they have competing values. Mm. What's really, really interesting as a musician and one who appreciates classical music is immediately after I'm Proud to Be an American, the group went into their version of Handel's The Hallelujah Chorus which traditionally is a song that you stand for. Yeah. And everyone sat down. Ah. It was so interesting to me where they started singing, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever. This beautiful vocal arrangement. But everybody had gotten their worship in. Yeah. They'd stood for what they wanted to stand for, yeah. you know, and they all sat down. And as I'm walking out, I'm just thinking to myself, you people, <laughs> what a, what a conflict of interest, you know? I think that I was watching this video and um, one of, well, probably most people consider the Old Testament scholar of the day, Walter, Dr. Walter Brueggemann um, was speaking and he gave a lecture and then there was kind of a panel and then some questions and it was very intriguing. Um, one of the questions was, uh, the, the whole the whole thing was about um, an economics of compassion. And it was just, it's beautiful. And he talked about some four case studies in scripture where they had these rulers and authorities who were slave and were, were drawing from the poor in a way that, that wasn't honoring God and how if we're going to be different in our world, we can't live into that same understanding of kingdom and power and what that looks like. And so a guy asked a question and he says, you know, we, we keep talking about that the answer to kingdom is kingdom. <laughs> He's like, and kingdom always has hierarchy and somebody who is in charge and the lesser. And in, and the guy asking the question said, wouldn't it be a better word if we used kinship? So I was like, oh man, what is Walter, Dr. Walter Brueggemann going to say to this? And so he starts off by saying, uh, first and foremost, I didn't come up with the word kingdom like Jesus did. <laughs> so let's just start there. But then he goes into saying, but the prophet Isaiah says that this king's going to be different. And rather than lording power over people, this king's actually going to serve people. Rather than, than gaining wealth and prosperity on the backs of slaves, this guy's going to actually serve those people. 
And so we can't look at this understanding of, of who Jesus came to be as the same as we look at all the other kingdoms of the world. And so when we have this discrepancy, this this once again double standard of we love this, this is, and, and we're celebrating in essence something that is about power and might and strength. It we have to see the double standard that when we talk about God's kingdom, our ruler didn't consider equality, but became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And 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 unfortunately, in our church, we don't see the discrepancy between the two. We we stand for one, and and then when when the 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 song or the thought of actually, if you're going to be a part of this kingdom, you you got to be the servant of all. If you're going to be the greatest, you're not just going to serve some people. You're going to serve all people. And so he just kept talking about how. Scripture always is is leading us to a kingdom that is not like anything the world offers and that this king is different. And if we're going to be a part of that kingdom, if we're going to be part of that understanding of who God is calling us to, then we have to see that if something else is calling us to something different, then, then we have to call it for what it is and we have to name it for what it is. And um, it can't be that this is the kingdom of God because that is not representative of who we see Jesus being and how he chose to live every day. Right. And I, I think that my prayer for my own life is um, that I might not be someone that uh, tries to serve two masters. And there's a reason that Jesus says you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, where I, I would confess, I have been guilty of this. I will confess that I don't know myself as I ought. I may be, I may be guilty of this now. I may be guilty of this last night, you know? Sure. My Super Bowl viewing. Um, may God allow us to be people that are able to be self-critical, that are able to ask the tough question, are we holding ourselves to a double standard are we allowing ourselves to hold double standards are we allowed allowing ourselves to worship the other gods the lesser gods i think my prayer is that uh um that god would search me as the psalmist says and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me as it pertains to other gods and um worship of the one for whom the uh, law says I shall have no other gods before you know The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 